Facebook official. That's where we're going to be today. Facebook official. It represents that moment when your status changes from single to taken. Today, oftentimes, that announcement is done over social media, so the world will know everyone who cares about us and who we care about will know, and everyone who wants to look into our lives will know as well. But in the past, the way this occasion might have been celebrated would have been the giving of a varsity jacket, uh, the giving of a fraternity pin, maybe the giving of an engagement ring. And the idea is single, but taken. Single, but taken. And it's an exciting time, isn't it? Most of us have been in that place before where romance is high, we're gazing into each other's eyes, we're holding hands everywhere we go. We just kind of make the people around us a little bit sick, right? Um, we're smiling, we're talking about everything under the sun, and we're looking our best and showing off our best complete with too much hairspray and way too much cologne. But we're in love, and we don't care who knows it. This is what it feels like and looks like to be Facebook official, that season of dating, courtship, and maybe even engagement. And then Christians come along and ruin it. <laughs> Isn't that what we do? This is what the church does, isn't it? Whenever we talk about dating, whenever we talk about courtship, we take this fun, this exciting, this romantic time, and what do we do? We share scare stories, right? You know what's going to happen if you date a non-Christian? Then you're going to get together, and your future family is going to all turn away from God, and you'll all go to hell, you know? You know what happens if you start kissing and hugging, and oh my gosh, you start dancing, well, then all that physical contact is going to make you want to have sex, and then you have babies, and your lives will be ruined. You know, this is what we do as Christians. We share scare stories, and Christians have ruined dating and courtship. We turn this dynamic, exciting, fun, romantic time into something rule-bound, stressful, and scary. Why? Why do we do this? Because quite honestly, we're afraid. Christian parents and pastors, we talk about passion like it's something to be feared. We talk about sex like it's something to be ashamed of. We talk about non-Christians like they're demons. And we talk about the other sex like they're the enemy. And then we wonder why so many young people today have become disillusioned and don't trust the church when it comes to talking about relationships. That's a problem, don't you think? We can do better. And not, when I say do better, I mean that as churches, as the people of God, we have to be able to do better when we're passing along lessons about what dating and courtship is supposed to be like. It has to be better than just giving them rules like don't date a non-Christian and don't have sex before marriage, right? We, we can do better than that. We have to do better. So for those of you who are joining us this morning, uh, we are uh, in the middle of a series that we've entitled uh, Relationship Rules. And it's a series that's designed to look at relationships from a very different perspective. Because traditionally, the way the church looks at conversations about relationships is we prioritize the ending point, the preferred status being marriage. 
And so everything we talk about when it comes to relationships is with the ideal goal of getting people married. But as we reviewed last week, what if that's a wrong supposition? What if that's not what the Bible presents? Because even Jesus himself said, I mean, if you think of marriage as being the ultimate expression of relationship, then you would think that marriage would also be present in the kingdom. But it's not. Jesus himself made that clear. And so what we've done instead over the course of this series is we talked about relationship, looking at relationship through the lens of singleness. Which I know sounds strange because most of us think of singleness as being separated from relationship, but that's just how crazy and twisted our understanding of relationships have become. And so that's what we've done over the course of this series. Singles have not only been able to take front and center, but even for married couples, the idea of being able to say, man, what is it that I can learn about relationships looking at it through the lens of singleness? And even better, Maybe when I look at my marriage, realizing that a lot of the problems and struggles I'm facing in marriage is because I didn't resolve the issues that needed to get resolved in my season of singleness. And so with all that in mind, we're in the third part of our series. And today we're going to be talking about that fun, twisty, crazy idea of notion of dating and courtship. Um, for those of you, again, if this is your first time joining us in this series, this is an awakened Q&A series, which means that over the course of the teaching, if you have any questions, comments, or thoughts, feel free to text them to awakenqna at gmail.com. And I'll be excited about taking some time after to run through those. And if you forget that address, they'll be on every slide. So this week we move from the blessing of singleness to the idea of taken. And again, if we go back to the Garden of Eden, this makes perfect sense. This is the progression Adam went through. God created Adam. He taught him about his place, God's provision, his purpose, and boundaries. And then what did God do after Adam won in, in those areas, right, learned what God wanted to teach him? God then said, it is not good for man to be alone in Genesis 2.18. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And then in verse 21, it says, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. Or for those of you who heard Bill Cosby, it's like, whoo, man, that's where that woman came from. So we're not going to overcomplicate things here. Um, after Adam's season of singleness, God declared that Adam was ready for relationships. So Adam has learned who God is, his position before God. God. Adam has understood more of who I am, who he is, right? And now it is not good for man to be alone. And that's the progression we should take as well. And God chooses to give Adam Eve. And when he did, what God did, I mean, beyond that, is God made relationships simple and God made relationship clear. God brought, so Adam's alone, God brought Eve to him, right? Beautiful, elegant, naked, and available, right? There's no question. That's about as clear as you can possibly get to a guy, right? So it's just, he brings her, he makes it very clear what relationship looks like, and the two are able to come together. 
So that's great for Adam. This gift of woman, this gift of relationship is for you. So what does Adam do? He rejoices, of course, right? And then he spouts poetry, which is, all right, kind of weird, but to each their own when they celebrate. But um, relationship with simple, relationship with clear. And the challenge that we have today is that it's not always today because this is what we all want right we want relationship to work we want relationship to be simple we want relationship to be clear but god doesn't play matchmaker the same way he did in the garden and so that leaves uh, this big gaping empty spot that we have tried to fill so what have we done we created dating and courtship and engagement and that's not good that's not bad it just is right what we've done is we've created, we've built a bridge between singleness and marriage. And that's what dating and courtship represent. That the dating and courtship, they are the bridge that helps connect one state, singleness, to another state, marriage. That's how dating and courtship is designed to function. This is the result of what God is saying, it is not good for man to be alone building the dating courtship being this bridge between one state and the other. And I want you to make sure that you catch that idea because it's really important. Because if we understand what that means, that courtship and dating is a bridge between one state to another, from singleness to marriage, then we, um, I don't want us to miss the purpose and the heart behind dating and courtship, right? If it's a bridge, then there's a couple things we need to understand about bridges. One is that bridges go both ways. So just because you're on a bridge, heading in a specific direction, doesn't mean that at any point in time, if I'm seeing the destination and I don't like that destination, I can't turn around and come on back. Of course you can. Bridges go both ways. If I'm traveling down this road, even if I'm right on the edge of reaching that destination, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know if that's where I want to be, turn around and walk back. I um, remember we had this conversation with one of our daughters, and she's like, all right, mom and dad, I understand what you're talking about when we talk about dating, that we shouldn't just date just for fun, that it's, you know, we date someone that we could potentially see ourselves spending the rest of our lives with. And then she asked this really good question. She said, so does that mean that I have to marry the first person I date? I'm like, no, <laughs> no, baby, not at all, right? If at any time while you guys are in that dating relationship, courtship relationship, even after you get engaged, if you ever decide that, man, I don't want to spend the rest of my life with this person, then turn around and walk back to singleness. It is okay, right? Bridges go both ways. Secondly, bridges are designed to be traveled on, not lived on. You know, and sometimes I think, gosh, we think about dating, and instead of understanding that dating's a bridge, we see dating as a destination. And we see dating as a destination, then it's kind of like, all right, we can stay in dating mode for as long as we want, and it's totally okay. And I think that mindset is wrong. We miss out on the heart of what dating is designed to be. And when that happens, oftentimes dating starts feeling very uncomfortable, full of questions, and to be perfectly honest, after enough time, a period of compromise as well. And the reason for that is because we view dating as a destination rather than as a bridge. It's a practical expression in our family. This is why we encourage our kids that, hey, we don't want you to date in high school, right? Because I don't think it's healthy for us to consider you guys aren't in a place where you're prepared to get married. And if we understand that dating is a bridge, then I don't want you to spend the next five, seven, ten years on this bridge. That being said, 
you have another argument, come and talk to us. We're open. That's the type of relationship we have with our kids when it comes to this idea of dating. And I want to be clear, too, right? I know there are a lot of stories in this room. And I know maybe some of you, you actually did date for a very long, extended period of time, and it works. That's fine. Fantastic. I want to celebrate with you. I'm not trying to rip that. I just simply want to clarify in this time what the purpose of dating is, right? Because what you did is fantastic, and I commend you because it's a lot harder that way when we turn dating into this extended time, this extended living arrangement that we have on this bridge from one state to another, right? Dating is not a status to dwell in. It's a process to go through. And I'll, I'll write this down. I have it up here too. The goal of dating, the goal of dating is to travel alongside one another for a period of time to evaluate whether or not we want to spend the rest of our lives together in covenant relationship. I know that sounds really long, but each part is intentionally written, right? The goal of dating is to travel alongside one another for a period of time to evaluate. That's what dating is for, is to evaluate. If we already know, then evaluation's done, right? Either move forward or go back. Dating is that period to evaluate whether or not we want to spend the rest of our lives together in covenant relationships. So another way of thinking about this is uh, dating is kind of like interviewing for a CEO job. I'll make this make sense, hopefully. So uh, the idea is if you own a company, medium-sized, good-sized company, whatever it is, Hiring an employee is one thing. Hiring a CEO is something completely different, right? Because you're hiring someone that's going to run your entire company. And so any company that's looking to hire a CEO go, more forces that person to go through a pretty rigorous process. In other words, if we're a company hiring a CEO, we never hire them based on one interview. As a matter of fact, that first interview is usually like, all right, we're just kind of weeding out the big things, right? So the first interview in any hiring of a CEO is never going to be a hard yes. It could be a hard no. Yeah, you know what? I can tell right now from this interview, we're not going to be a good match. See ya, right? That's kind of how dating works too. That, all right, that first time, yeah, you know, I don't know much else about you, but you're kind of a jerk and self-absorbed. We're done. We're not even going any further. So it could be a hard no. It could be a maybe. Yeah, I don't know if I'm feeling it, but we're willing to give you another shot. So we'll give you a second interview and we'll see how it goes from there, right? Maybe. Or it could be, oh, this is definitely promising, right? And then we're like, this looks really good. You know, I want to get some more people involved in this interview process, but I really like you. Let's take that next step and move forward. That's kind of what they, it's like hiring a CEO, right? We're going through this evaluation process. We want to do it rigorously to make sure that we're finding the right person. And I'm going to tell you this, too, because, again, just to stay along the lines of this analogy, every company that is hiring a CEO asks the same type of questions and works through the same types of issues. Gosh, they look so good as a candidate, but are they, best, are they the best fit for our company, right? Man, the labor market is really tight right now. Am I hiring because I'm afraid I can't get someone better, right? Or... You know, gosh, the real problem is we just haven't, we, we've been without a CEO for so long. Is this person really the best fit or am I letting my need drive the decision, right? These are questions that a company would ask if they're hiring a CEO. And I think these are questions that should be a part of our dating process as well. The point is, dating is designed to be this interview process that helps you determine whether or not you want to spend the rest of your life with this person. And when we twist that 
dating, when we twist that idea into something else, that's when dating starts getting messed up, that's when dating starts getting confusing, and that's when dating introduces a lot of potential for compromise, right? It's in those times, it's when we twisted dating into becoming something else from what it's supposed to be that we start feeling like we're stuck in relationship or we start using relationship. And those are never good. The goal of dating is to travel alongside one another for an extended period or for a period of time to evaluate whether or not we want to spend the rest of our lives together in covenant relationship. So with that, I, uh, I don't know how many of you guys are baseball fans in here. I'm actually not a huge baseball fan, but I'm a sports fan. But if you are a baseball fan or sports fan, you probably heard about the Houston Astros cheating scandal, I would think, right? Um, for those of you who don't know, the Houston Astros have uh, is a baseball team. Uh, they've been one of the best baseball teams uh, since for the past three or four years. And uh, starting in, uh, so they won the World Series in 2017, and last year was in the World Series and barely lost to the Washington, Nas uh, Washington Nationals. So Anyway, they were just busted not too long ago for using technology to illegally steal signs. And they've been doing it since 2017. So for those of you, I'll just give a quick primer, right, if you're not too familiar with baseball. Typically, the catcher kind of gives signs to the pitcher that tells the pitcher what type of pitch he wants to receive. What the Houston Astros did is they put cameras way back in the back of center field that were getting close-ups of what signs, what signs the uh, catcher was giving, and thereby able to figure out what pitch was coming next. And then they did even worse. So it's like the camera person figured out, okay, this is the pitch that's coming next. They communicated the dughouse or the clubhouse, and the clubhouse would send out a signal so the batter could recognize what pitch was coming next. Not exactly the pitch, but they would generally bang on a trash can, right? That's an example of what they did. They banged on a trash can when an off-speed pitch was coming. And if there's no bang, the hitter knew a fastball was coming. As you can understand or probably quickly grasp, that gives the batter a huge advantage. And they did this for multiple years. So I know it probably seems strange to talk about baseball. And there were consequences, right? The general manager was fired. The coach was fired. Ironically, the players were given immunity. So they weren't disciplined per se, but they're still paying a price because many of their colleagues, their fellow baseball players, have lost respect for them, feel like the title, World Series title, should be stripped from you. And then Jose Altiz, who's one of the best players in the game, plays for the Houston Astros, like, I don't think he earned the MVP that year. He should have that stripped from him too, right? There's this idea of shame that has come upon the team. So anyway, I know it's strange to talk about baseball when we're talking about dating, um, with, especially if we're not talking about getting to bases, but that's, you know, so <laughs> that's not where we're going. I don't think any of us have any doubt that the Houston Astros coach, general manager, and players, they, they love baseball. Right? They love the game of baseball, they love the sport. They've given their lives to it. This is what they're passionate about. Uh, I don't think there's any, any issue or, or understanding that they wanted to win, right? And they were looking for every little edge that they can get to win. There's nothing wrong with that either. Every team in baseball is doing what they can to win, ultimately to win the World Series, and they're using whatever competitive edge they can get. What the Houston Astros did wrong is they crossed the line from getting an edge to cheating. And when they did, they not only ruined themselves, but they ravaged part of the game as well. Baseball has taken a hit because of their cheating. You know, we start off this time this morning talking about how Christians have ruined dating. And, and I, I'm being a bit facetious with that. 
but uh, I don't know, maybe not entirely, right? Um, the way we've done it is we've put so many warnings and restrictions and rules into dating that for many young Christians, it's like we're looking at dating and feeling like, man, it's not attractive, it's not fun, and it's not appealing anymore. And the result is many young Christians are taking up their dating bats and going to play elsewhere. The problem is the world's way of playing isn't any better, right? The world cheats, and the world breaks rules with impunity. And the result is many couples who decide instead to play by the world's rules are left dealing with the consequences of cheating and breaking rules. Shame, hurt, and ruin. So what are we supposed to do then? What's left? What's left is dating according to right values rather than rules. Date according to right values rather than rules. The reason why there's such an intense reaction to what the Astros did isn't because of a specific rule that they broke. As a matter of fact, if you look at this scandal and read, most of it has nothing to do with what rule they broke because honestly, what rule they broke is kind of confusing, right? Because the rules weren't made to cover what they did. But everybody knows they cheated, right? They broke rules. Whether or not it's a specific rule, they, what they did is they made the game unfair. They broke one of the cardinal rules of baseball, right? The idea of baseball is baseball and apple pie. It's a fun game. It's a fair game where every team gets an equal shot. They broke that value. Breaking that value was more costly than breaking any specific rule. And that's why this scandal has taken on such big proportions. They made the game unfair. And I think what gets, this is what gets lost in many of our conversations as Christians or in the church when it comes to dating. In our struggle, in our, in our maybe noble attempt to guard our young saints from the negative influences of how the world can intrude on relationships, we just set up guardrails that became rules that uh, became over time overly restrictive, and we, we ended up creating a culture of fear and shame around dating that sh- on, a, on a thing that shouldn't be built on fear and shame. And so I want to take the time instead to walk a different road and to say, let's talk about building right values, and then whatever, if you understand and embrace the value, I trust whatever quote-unquote rules you put into place in your own relationship is going to be right. That's how we've trained our children, and that's how I want to be able to pass that idea along to you as well. So I want to walk through three of them. The first one is this, right? First value I want you to embrace is first character, then chemistry. First character, then chemistry. The key to great dating, you want to know what the key is? to choose wisely on the front end, right? You choose wisely, the process is going to go a lot easier. So I had a list. Um, when I say I had a list, this is way back in the day when I was single. I made a list. I'm not saying you should do this. I'm just telling you what I did. I made a list of qualities that I wanted to have in the woman I would someday marry. And my list had two different columns. One was the non-compromise list. It was pretty short, but it was, it was like, if there's a woman and she doesn't check off all of my non-compromises, I'm never going to even ask. And then I had my preferences list, and that preferences list was kind of like, I know me, and I think I would like to have these qualities in my future wife. So it's like, ah, if they, she didn't hit them all, that's a bit more okay, but they just kind of reflect. And the reason why I made the list 
is because I'd already been in a relationship where uh, sometimes chemistry overwhelmed character, including my own. And I knew me that I know when I get in a relationship, I'm no longer objective. And so for me, when I'm in a relationship, I can oftentimes let chemistry overwhelm my better judgment. So I wanted to have a reference point, a list for me that said, okay, this is to guard me from getting into, because I valued this idea of character over chemistry. So uh, when I dated Gisela, she checked off every one of my non-compromise lists. And actually, as we started dating and went through the process of dating, I discovered that she hit all of my preferences too, except for one. So <laughs> fun fact, after we got married, because I never told her I had a list while we were dating, that's a bad idea. So if you haven't, don't, don't do that, right? But after we were married, after we already locked the sucker in, then we had this fun conversation. I was like, hey, sweetheart, I don't know if you ever know, just a fun fact, I had a list. And she says, oh, you know what's funny? I had one too. I'm like, oh, really? And she'd done the exact same thing. She had made a, a non-compromised list. She's like, all right, you checked off pretty good on those. And she had a preference list. And she's like, Frank, I just want to let you know, you got almost all of them. And I'm like, really? Yeah, you missed one. So anyway, that was kind of a fun little fact of how we played that out. Look. Don't ever let anyone tell you that chemistry doesn't matter. Of course chemistry matters. You want to spend the rest of your life with someone you enjoy being around and you enjoy talking with, that you consider to be your best friend, right? If you had your choice, you'd want to spend the day, the week, the month, the years with them. My wife is my best friend, and we love our time together. We get a date every single week together. These are the, I, I enjoy that time. I enjoy her more than anyone else in my life. Chemistry is important. It really is important, but not at the cost of character. In fact, the biggest reason why chemistry works so well is because I trust her character, right? The reason why I can feel completely free to be whoever I am with her is because we have trust. Character, then chemistry. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 12, this is for me, so you women will have to find another one. But a wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like decay in the bones. I'm very image-based. This makes sense to me, right? The character is like something I wear proudly, and I'm like, my wife's character is something I'm proud of, I'm excited about. But a woman of poor character, then they just say, like rot in the bones. You're just never going to feel quite First character, then chemistry. Second, honor God. Honor God. I know this is a broad principle, so I'm going to narrow it down for you. Over the course, the two questions I think you need to consistently ask in any dating relationship are these two, right? Is who I am helping me grow in Christ? And is how we are dating honoring to God? Is who I'm dating helping me grow in Christ? And is how we are dating honoring God? As long as we can check the yes in those two questions, you can be confident that you're going to be on safe ground. Gisela wasn't the first person that I dated, but she is the last. And part of that is because I knew from pretty much the very beginning that she was going to be good for me, good for my faith, good for my life. Um, that girl, so I'll just share one example. With that girl, she spends every single day with the Lord. Every single day. It's amazing. I saw that in our dating relationship. And I'll be one of the first ones to say, man, I don't, I couldn't even make that claim to myself. And in addition to every single day, she had this extended time in college with the Lord where she went to this park. 
and spent a few hours out there. And so I started going. It became part of our dating routine is on her extended time day, we would just kind of go together. And I'll tell you what, the first few times we went, I had no idea what this girl was doing at that park. I'm like, I'm sitting here, and so we got to the park, same place, and we just separated, and then we just spent our time with the Lord. So I would do what I think you're supposed to do when you spend your time, extended time with God. I read the Bible. Um, I read kind of fast, so I would go through an entire book of the Bible and take notes, and I'd usually wrap up in 30 minutes or 45 minutes, right? And I'm like, all right, that's pretty good right there. I'd walk around the park praying, because I like to pray walk, so I just walked around the park multiple times praying, and I would get to the point where I literally prayed through every possible thing I can think of to pray about, and that would be about 30 or 45 minutes. So we're talking about an hour and a half. I'm sitting here thinking, this girl's spending three hours out here. What is she possibly doing, right? I can only, I'm only buying an hour and a half, so I ended up daydreaming and reading a book for the rest of the hour and a half until she was ready to go. So that's kind of how my time was spent. But I learned that this is the girl I want in my life. That's the type of faith that I want in my face challenging me every single day for the rest of my life, right? The who matters. And then how, so the how we went about, uh, in case you haven't guessed yet, um, maybe one of the reasons why I'm, I'm encouraging you guys value over rules is because I don't like rules. You give me a rule, my first response is try and find a way to bend it or break it. So that's how I operate. And as long as I can remember, I've been that way. So when we started, when we went through this process of dating, I didn't want a whole bunch of rules. And we had friends, some in this church, <clears throat> who had a very long list of rules and like, all right, we respect that, but we're not going down that road. So we basically had three. We set a curfew at midnight just because we know that after a certain period of time, our self-control and restraint kind of goes. So curfew, no kissing. Uh, I might have redone that one. But anyway, no kissing. And then the last one was accountability with Gary and Jennifer Fowler. And that was because, again, I know me, and we know that just, if uh, you give me a rule, I'll find a way to bend it or work around it. I'm pretty creative that way. And accountability meant that um, we had to sit down with Gary and Jennifer, and we just told them, honestly, where our relationship was, and if there was anything of note that we had done during our relationship that they should know. And I'll tell you, that was the best, quote-unquote, rule we ever put in place. Because in those times, those times that we might have bent a rule, the times we actually broke rules, um, anything that was just, we just sat down and I just told, anything that would have been easy to hide, but we didn't, right? We sat down, we had these conversations with Gary and Jen, and I usually took the lead in telling Gary and Jen where we were in our relationship. And that built trust. That here's Gisela, who's seeing in me that, hey, Frank could have easily have hidden, could easily have twisted the story, changed the story to make himself or make us look better, and he didn't. I told you earlier that my wife and I trust each other completely. That trust was built on a foundation of what we did during the course of our dating. Right? We made a decision that we're not going to lie. We're going to be upfront and honest no matter how it makes us look. And that's what we did with Gary and Jennifer, right? I want to make that clear. I'm sharing that story with you not to impose more rules. I'm just saying this, my wife and I had the same value, honoring God in our relationship. The way we expressed it, that's the way we chose to express it. You go ahead and do it a different way. As long as you own the value, I trust how the expression is going to come out. Character before chemistry, honor God. Oh, let me read the verse. So uh, Philippians 2, verses 13 and 15. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So God is in you 
working to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. So there's some people who would say, you know, this idea that, well, dating isn't in the Bible, so it's not biblical. And I'm like, well, neither is driving a car, but that's, we do that all the time as well, right? There's nothing biblical or unbiblical about it. The issue is always going to be the same. Is God at the center of whatever it is you're doing? Is God at the center of your dating? And I think this is the value that says, okay, it's behind what's honored God. It's like, is God at the center of our relationship? And if he is, then we're good. Third, handle conflicts and trials with grace. Handle conflicts and trials with grace. So I was in campus ministry for 11 years. um, And part of what being in campus ministry means is we had a lot of students who were going through in and out of the whole dating process. And one of the questions I used to get that was, that for me was a stumper because I didn't always know how to answer was, how do I know if they're the one? How do I know if they're the one? And I realized that the answer I was initially giving was pretty bad. And then the answer I was initially giving is, well, you just kind of know. Like, no, that's really dumb, right? So that's what it says. So the way I'd answer that question today, I didn't have a great answer back then, but I think I do now, right? And the, the way I'd answer that now is the way I've taught this morning. Did you choose character over chemistry? Because if you have both, that's a great starting point. You chose well. Second, are you two honoring the Lord in your dating relationship? If you check that yes, you're in good shape. The first two questions were the pastor questions. They're the questions I ask because I'm the pastor I'm supposed to, right? I'm just kidding. Uh, Because I care about your spiritual condition, and I want to make sure that in the course of your relationship, that your relationship with this person doesn't ever trump your relationship with God. So those are two pastor questions. The last one's diagnostic, right? It's It's a question I'm not asking because I'm your pastor. I'm asking because that's how I was trained, right? And most of you know that's my training background is, is in counseling, right, as a licensed marriage and family therapist. And so the third one is, how do you guys handle disagreements and trials? How do you guys handle disagreements and trials? And what I found over many, many years of practice and experience is the way a couple deals with conflict and trials is one of the best ways of being able to evaluate whether or not that relationship will last. If you're dating someone who causes harm when there's disagreement or when times are hard, they will not change in marriage. If you're dating someone who ignores you and is cold towards you when you're in disagreement or when times are tough, that's not going to change in marriage at all. What you want in a partner is someone who is steadfast and determined to build your relationship even when, especially when times are tough. And that's who you want. If, you, if they're a person, <coughs> if you're in relationship with someone who lashes out at you when times are tough, if they cannot handle hardship with grace, then you should seriously consider getting out. Because this is not an area that will change very much in marriage. There's a reason why when you, te- you want to find out what a person's really like, you don't observe them when times are good. You observe them in times of trial, in times of hardship, because it's when they're pressed that they'll show you who they really are. And that's why disagreement and that's why times of trials are the best opportunity to take a look and say, what is inside this person? That's how the military works. That's how leadership in companies works. That's how faith works. 
in the Christian world, and that's how marriages and relationships work as well. James chapter 3 says, For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and check this, willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. I know it's time to wrap up. Gosh, I've already run a bit longer than I thought. So in a couple of minutes, we're going to tackle our Awaken Q&A. Uh, so if you have any questions, comments, or thoughts, go ahead and text them to awakenqna at gmail.com. Um, and as you do so, I want to say this. I know there's a lot I didn't cover. Uh, probably a lot of things I didn't cover. Uh, there's probably a lot of things I should have said but didn't say. And there's probably a few things that I said that I probably could have said better. Right? And so I apologize. There's just only so much time and, uh, that we have. And, and you know I'm, there's limits to who I am too. So if I said things clumsily or poorly, my apologies. I really did not intend that. I hope more than anything else you've heard my heart. Uh, in this this morning, uh, the heart of a man who's gone through singleness and really enjoyed that season of his life, uh, a man who went through dating and courtship and really enjoyed that season of life, uh, a man who's gone through 23, almost 23 years of marriage and has really, really enjoyed that season of life as well, and a man who's a parent to four kids who are entering into this whole dating courtship world and who is not very much enjoying that part <laughs> of life. So... And so what I want to instruct you all today in doing is I've tried to teach you the same way we teach our kids, right? When our kids were young and immature, they needed rules because they couldn't think about values. They didn't understand. They weren't mature enough to understand what was behind the rules. But when our children got to an age, a maturity level, where they understood the value behind the rules, then we wanted them to embrace the values and we trust whatever decision. We remove the rules in favor of the values. Right? And that's what I want to do with you all, too. And I understand maybe there's some of us in here that were really a bit immature in faith. There's nothing wrong with that, right? We're immature, we're young in faith, and maybe having rules is better for you. Fantastic. Sit down with someone mature that you trust and say, what are some good rules I can follow right now? But then for the rest of you, what I wanted you to inherit during this time is values. And I realized that values trumps rules. If you embrace the right values, I trust whatever rules will come out. This is how God works with us as well, isn't it? If you look throughout the scriptures, what did God do? He gave us law, then grace, right? Law was never designed to be complete on its own. Grace came in to fulfill, right, to fill in the gaps that law left, right? This is how God treats us, and we want to, as a church, follow that same pattern, even with relationships and dating, especially with relationships and dating, because I think if we build a culture where we are plugging in the right DNA, and as a people, we're learning right values over obligation to rules or, or uh, com com being compelled to follow specific rules, then I think that's a church that we want to be a part of, a body of believers that reflects more accurately, I think, what Christ is all about. Amen? And that's something we build together. So, all right, let me dive in with some Q&A. Man, I really burned our time. I apologize. All right. What happens if you're in a relationship and your relationship is still new and you got people telling you what's going to happen in a year with a person you were with and how you would handle it or what you would say? Um, 
I would ask them what makes them so confident they can predict the future. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of people who tell me what my future is um, and what my future decisions should be, what I should be doing in the future, not so much. I, I would just tell them that uh, I appreciate your input. I appreciate that you care about my relationship and kind of want to give me a sense of what's to come. Right now, I think um, I want to focus on where we're at right now. Because I think God wants to teach us some things in our relationship right now and not jump ahead to where we'll be a year from now. That's probably how I'd encourage you to, to respond to that. What is your response to someone who says you have to have dating, relation, dating experience in order to find the right person? He says you have to have dating experience in order to find the right person. Oh. Uh, so fundamentally, I disagree with that in principle. I don't feel like you have to be someone who dates around because then the implication is, well, then the more you've dated, the better odds you have of finding the right person. And I can say that's absolutely not true, right? I could point you to people who have dated hundreds of women, guys who dated hundreds of women, and that didn't equip them to make a better decision about who they were going to marry. So um, that being said, uh, I, I think the response I had with our, we had with our daughter earlier is, the other side of that is I don't want you to feel obligated that in a position where the first person I date, I feel like I am obligated to marry either. Um, again, I think dating is like that interview process. If you think about it as an interview process for a CEO, maybe the first person that comes out is the grand slam. Uh, you just want to take the time and, the pro and go through the process the right way to confirm it. Uh, it could be the second person. It could be the third. I don't know. So I don't want to, I just don't think there's a, clear correlation between the two. I don't know if I would ever correlate the more times you date, the more accurate your shot will be. I just, I don't think that's necessarily true. You said that you would read a book when you were waiting for Gisela. This book happened to be the famous comic books you also brought to your home group. Um, maybe. I was dating if I did, I would have put a different cover on so she wouldn't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, um, what were one of the things on each of your lists that you didn't meet, the suspense? Uh, um, mine was I wanted to date someone who really loves sports because I, I really love sports. And I'll say this. My wife has really embraced it more so. She's become quite the pro and understanding the sports I, I enjoy. But that was not something that was initial. And then hers for me was uh, that he could dance, and I still suck. <laughs> I still can't dance. Uh, can you elaborate on what you mean by, is this a person who causes harm in trials and conflicts? Yes. What I mean by that is someone who gets, uh, in the midst of disagreement, gets angry, lashes out verbally, physically, um, emotionally, in whatever way, shape, or form, right? Um, I don't think people who, I mean, some people respond, so, uh, we talk about the idea they're fighters and runners, right? I think fighters need to be able to understand that we can fight, we can engage in conflict and address things head on without getting violent or abusive. And, and those, are, those are dramatic words. I shouldn't necessarily say that. Um, I think that if you're in relationship with someone, that when times are tough and when you argue, they lash out at you strongly lash out, right? Verbally, emotionally, physically, that's probably a good sign that, yeah, that's not going to change in marriage. I should probably consider getting out. By the other hand, I mean, if someone is icing you out, 
freezes you out, stops talking to you, cuts off communication with you, and doesn't want to engage, then that's also a bad sign. Both of those extremes, I think, can be equally damaging. All right, let me wrap up. Last one. Can you please repeat the questions company asks themselves about choosing a CEO? Oh, yeah. I can do that. Um, so the first one, uh, gosh, they look so good as a candidate, but are they the best fit for our company? Right, that's one. I think there are a lot of great, uh, I mean, I'm telling my daughters, right? I think there's a lot of great guys out there, but that doesn't necessarily mean you should marry them just because they're a great guy. So I think there's, there's, are they best for our company? Second, man, the labor market is tight right now. Am I hiring because I'm afraid I can't get someone better? I think sometimes we can, we can look at it that way, that opportunity is limited, and so maybe I should just, uh, I don't want to say settle. Maybe I should just, well, settle, <laughs> right? Because I don't want to take a chance that I might, you know, never get another one again. I think that's a, that's a tough way to make a decision about who you'll spend the rest of your life with. And then finally, man, we've been without a CEO for so long. Is this really the best fit, or am I letting my need drive my decision? I had a conversation with a young lady. I'll, I'll wrap up with this. I had a conversation with a young lady a number of years ago. No names. You probably won't know who they are anyway. But um, they're like, Frank, I know you keep telling me to be patient, to be patient and wait. But I've waited so long to be married. And I'm like, sweetheart, you are 23 years old. What are we talking about here? You just graduated college. What are you talking about so long? It's been forever. I'm like, be patient, all right? You can wait. So anyway, I'm just saying that sometimes we allow need to drive our decision. Like, I need to be in a relationship. I need to be married right now, and that can compromise our decision-making process. And we just need to be careful to guard against those things. So let me wrap up in prayer, and then we'll have Larry close this out. Lord, thank you so much for this time, for this morning, for the opportunity to walk through a really difficult and challenging topic on dating. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would give our singles, a tremendous amount of grace here, and uh, the wisdom to be able to make decisions and to go through this process in a wise and God-honoring fashion, Lord Jesus. And I pray that they would understand what it is to embrace right values and allow those values to drive whatever decisions, whatever rules, whatever, whatever it is that we decide to put in place in our relationship or our future relationships, Lord. I pray for wisdom, I pray for grace, and I pray just, God, that... Um, Lord, that you would be our encouragement and joy um, through this. Lord, we love you and thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.